And tonight, I want to carry on our theme of what it is to get to know Him. Getting to uh, know Him on a deeper, intimate level. And Greg has been talking a lot about intimacy with the Father. He's been talking a lot about dying to self and uh, relinquishing ourselves of our will and putting in place the will of the Father, putting in place the will of Jesus Christ in our lives. And, uh, you know, we've been discussing this as, as, a, as a life group, Emma and myself and a number of the guys who are here tonight. And it's just been awesome to be taking that journey of what does that look like? What, is that, what does that mean for us as followers of Christ? What does it mean for those who, who don't even know him? And what we, can, uh, what we can build in to those people. And what has been so beautiful is in our honesty, in our openness, in our frailty, we've gone, do you know what? I don't know what it looks like, but I want more. I want to know. I want to know what that looks like. I want to know what it means to be vulnerable before my God. I want to know what it means to, to walk with Him, not knowing all the answers, but knowing that in His presence, in His comfort, in His guidance, I know that I can find it. And I know that He wants to reveal it to me when I'm in that place of submission before Him. And so I've got this title tonight of R.I.P. And... Uh, most people will think that that means rest in peace. Uh, but I want to I make uh, a statement tonight that actually will uh, combine that process of dying to self. But what I feel God is wanting to say to us as a family and as a means of us taking that step of getting to know him, a step of submission and uh, R.I.P. to me means repentance is powerful. Death to self and the process of submission is a tough one for all of us to enter into simply because we as humans are filled with iniquity. In simple terminology, that basically means rebellion. It was there from the, the moment of Adam and Eve. And when you observe a small child... Emma, when she, used to, um, uh, when she used to nanny for a family, as a little three-year-old at the time called Samuel, what was really interesting to observe was as a small child, you immediately see its development and desire to be independent. You try to hold its hand when it's crossing the road. It doesn't want to hold your hand. It wants to, to be independent. When you call it a baby, it says, I'm not a baby. <laughs> I'm a grown-up now. In our school years... We're fighting against the school system more than we're fighting against our home system because we're smart enough to recognize that when food is on the table at home, you don't mess up a good thing. Unless, of course, mum and dad have got some iffy cooking. Maybe that's, uh, that might turn around. But then in university years, we're growing and developing our own identity and more of our own thought patterns, more of the, the things that, that start to uh, grow and develop us. And that starts us to re maybe rebel against what our parents' uh, thoughts are, what they were taught. And then by the time we're in adulthood, we come to a place of firmly establishing all that we've acquired, all that we've learned. We feel we're set. It's set in stone. We've got it sorted. We've got it in place. And then we hate the idea of change. We absolutely hate it. 
because it's like going back to school all over again and living as a school kid, rebelling against the school system, growing up, going through the university. It's a whole new process for us. And that's the, the difficulty that I think we as humans struggle to, to take on board and, and, and this whole area of submission. Our attitudes have to change if we are going to come into the true depth of knowing him. And that's why I think repentance is so key and so crucial to this whole area of coming to know him. It's just one step. And I just want to disclaim that. I'm not saying it's the only step. But God is going to reveal things in our lives as a community, as individuals that are not right standing, are not in the right pipeline of what he has planned for us, of what he is presenting in his word. And we have to be a community that is open to say, do you know what, God, I don't have it down pat. I don't have it right. But God, you're going to present yourself to me when I come and step into that place of humility, when I step into that position where you have authority over my life, where you have first place and you will unveil those things to me. I want to take us on a a bit of a journey tonight through uh, a number of different characters through God's Word who experience these very same things of recognizing submission, of brokenness, of the need to repent. And in that position, God said, You're in the place I need you, son. Or you're in the place that I want you, daughter. And I'm going to just dispel the myth that repentance is something that we should dread or something that we should fear because it's not what it's in place for and it's not what I read through God's Word. So let's take a a look. I haven't got a PowerPoint with me tonight, so if you're taking notes um, or if you have your Bible, do follow me. I am going to start off at 2 Corinthians 12 and then verse 7 to 10. And what a place to start, but with our good, our good example of Paul and his vision and his thorn. What he comes to realize in the power of repentance, the power of submission through these uh, examples and through his life of placing himself rightly under the King of Kings. So from uh, yeah, 2 Corinthians 12 and starting at verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited. Conceited is another word for obnoxious or, uh, or big-headed. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Repentance is not a sign of weakness, but an acknowledgement that in our weaknesses, Christ's power may rest on us. 
I think of the, uh, the power that, that that made for for Paul. What that meant to him was that he could, he could receive, knowing that the grace of God was sufficient for him, that the power that God had intended for him was going to propel him into even greater things. And when he placed himself under that right position, then God could do even, even, even greater things than he, he could imagine. I want to show you just a little clip right now. I don't know, who's seen the, uh, the film The Mission? Anyone seen The Mission? A couple of my film buff friends down here. Excellent. Well, The Mission, if you, you haven't seen it, Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons. It's uh, a film about the, uh, the missionaries heading into uh, Portuguese slash Spanish land uh, in the Amazon. And uh, the clip that I want to show you is Robert De Niro's character, Captain Mendoza. Uh, he's gone through some pretty bad hardships. And uh, uh, he's, he's in it, he ended up uh, killing his own brother and is feeling extremely guilty and in a place uh, of that there's no return. He meets Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Irons challenges him to take a, tr- take a journey of penitence. And um, I just want to show you, this is a, a three-minute clip, just to kick-start us and, uh, and get us into this process of understanding repentance. Man, I don't know about you, I'm just exhausted watching him. <laughs> it's one of the most powerful, yet the most infuriating clips that I think I've ever seen. Mainly because I can relate to that. And I'm sure a lot of us in this room can relate to that. The burdens that we carry with us. Captain Mendoza, all he ever knew was how to be a soldier, how to be a, um, a, you know, a, a, a rebel fighter uh, with a cause of grabbing money in order to, uh, in order to take these uh, Amazons out of the captivity. And, and that's all he ever knew. And he held on to that. And he took it. And there's so much pain, so much stress, so much strength lost by him trying to do it in his own strength. And what's even more amazing to see is that even when somebody tries to come along and tries to cut those ties off, how does he respond? I'm going to pick my burden up again. I'm going to tie it up even tighter so that I've got it and I can wear it even hot, you know, even closer to me. And then even just at the end, that complete position of, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Holding on to our burdens or having a heart and mind that is not moldable for transformation will weigh you down and our chances of walking into the newness that Christ has prepared for us. I do not want to be somebody who, who is tied down by burdens or past beliefs or past um, understandings that do not fit in line with God's word or do not fit in with what God has presented to me in the best and possible way. The interesting thing about that footage though, which is good to see, is that the monks there, they didn't carry the other person's burden. It's not something that each of us are called to do. I'm not, carried to, I'm not called to carry Kirk's burdens. I'm called to walk with him. I'm called to, 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 to journey with him through that process. But I'm not to carry that. It weighs me down in the process of him trying to receive freedom. And that's not good for either of us. 
My personal testimony of not letting go, some of you may already know. But when I came over to here in New Zealand, I thought I was going to have it made. I thought it was going to be an easy ride for me. Working in the film and television industry for over six years, being established, coming into a country which had Lord of the Rings behind it, had all these great uh, directors, all these great people that I could connect in with. Well, God really quickly showed my heart to be something that needed to be molded, that needed to be transformed. And I have to admit that during those early stages, I didn't let him in. I didn't allow him to. And I, don't, I can't put that down to, just put that down to pride, but it's also this uh, a real heart desire, I think, just to, to, to know that you're the man of your own household, that you can be a provider, that you can be someone who, uh, who, who can uh, look after in times of need. But um, as you know, some of you know, it became difficult. It became harder and harder to find work in that industry. And I found $12,000 quickly go down to everything but $10 in my bank account because my heart was not ready to let go. My heart wasn't willing to be transformed and I wasn't willing to allow God to be the, the, the ruler of my heart. He, I wasn't allowing him to be that position of, uh, where I was submitted and he could take his rightful place. And it took me stepping out and saying in my last, last ditch attempt, God, I don't have this down pat. I don't have an understanding of what your plan is for me here in New Zealand, but I know you've called me here for a purpose. I know you've called me here for a reason. Lord, I have to submit. I have to submit to you if things are going to change. And in that process of submitting, in that process of transforming my heart in generosity, God was able to do a work in my life. What are the things that God is speaking to you about right now that are our burdens, that are things that we have no need to carry, no need to hold on to, that when we lay at the foot of the cross, when we lay at his feet, we're going to experience freedom from. Exodus 3. 11 and 12 the story of Moses and the burning bush Moses is a fantastic character to look at in this whole area because you have a man who was born um, born for a purpose to experience something to experience uh, royalty to experience the height of, uh, of esteem within, his, uh, within his, his generation within his environment but then God takes him on a journey which transforms his heart, transforms his mindset into uh, becoming the leader that he was always intended to be. If we take a look, God takes him out into the wilderness. And Exodus 3, just want to look at 11 and 12 within this. So God is speaking to, to Moses through the burning bush. And from verse 11 it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I, should get to, so that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? God replied, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You know, Moses had... I had 
had done his had done the crime. He'd killed he killed the Egyptian. He was and he was he ran out to the wilderness. He stepped out of that environment of royalty. He stepped out of that environment of authority in the worldly sense and was taken into the wilderness where God could transform him, could shape him, could mould him to this very point where Moses says, Who am I? Who am I to lead these people? It's not a, a, a position of uh, breaking him down so that he has no self-esteem. It was a position where he could get Moses to say, you know what, Moses, you don't have it all down pat. You don't have all the tools which you need in order to fulfill my purpose in your life. But you know what? That's exactly the place that I want you because I am the one who's going to send you. I am the one who's going to give you the words to speak. I am the one who is going to bring and lead your people out of Egypt. And when that time comes, you will worship me on this mountain. I just think that's awesome. I don't, I don't see any shame in that because it was exactly the same place that, that I was led to go to. It was that place where I had to say, God, who am I in this situation when I can't control my own finances? Who am I when I think I've got this industry all down pat? Who am I when I think that I can provide when God is my provider? When God is the one who instills peace? When God is the one who gives me life? That is available for us all if we would just recognize the heart that was, uh, that was needed for Moses' position. He was a prince held in high esteem, plummeted to the point where he no longer knew who he was and hence he sits in a place where God can mold him and turn him into the leader he was called to be. Isn't that awesome? Mark 14 Come with me there to Mark 14, 3 to 9. And this is the story of, uh, of when Jesus is anointed at Bethany. Mark 14, verse 3. And this is just another example of brokenness and reliance upon God. From verse 3. It says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why is this, uh, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is, is preached throughout the world... What she has done will also be told in memory of her. You know, when I look at the, when I, I, I get into the scriptures here, I'm like, God, what is it that, that is so significant about this? I don't wear perfume. 
I wear Jean-Paul Gaultier. <laughs> Just so that there isn't any uh, yeah, doubt of uh, me putting on any. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't understand what is so significant about her breaking this, uh, this alabaster jaw, jar. And you, you see the, the worth that it has. You understand and grasp the, the worth of, of what she did in the fact that it was not only just a lot of money, but also the sacrifice that she made in doing it. But then God showed me something really significant in, uh, in verse 3, where it says, She broke the jaw, the jar and poured the perfume on his head. There's something symbolic about the breaking of it. It's not just, not just a simply, I keep the jar and I, I pour just a, a bit on top of his head and then put it back down. Now this was a complete smashing of the jar. There was no way that there was nothing going to be left for Jesus to, to receive from that perfume. It's that brokenness that the lady with the alabaster jar shows to us that there was no going back. There's no going back of what, I, what, what I'm, I'm willing to give to you, God, what I'm willing to, to share of myself. And that just empowers me. It empowers me because it's not something that I should um, think about. Or say, oh, okay, all right, so um, you know, what, what's, what's the most expensive perfume that I can find? And, uh, no, no, none of that. That's not why Jesus says at the end, this is why this woman will be remembered. That's not the reason at all. It was her submission and her delight in giving glory and honor to the King of Kings, to Jesus, and preparing him for his burial, preparing him. But also it was a sign of her knowledge, her delight in her King. Her love went so far to say, I'm willing to, to break. I'm willing to be in that place of brokenness where I no longer have anything, but I'm now in a position where I'm empty and I can receive from you the glory and the goodness of what you have. I checked out the most expensive perfume in today's world is is $215,000. Clive Christian perfume. And I think it's only really that expensive because it's laced with diamonds on the bottle. <laughs> but this symbolness, the symbol of, of this, this, the price paid, price paid, brokenness expressed. It'll be told for all time because Christ saw that heart that was positioned to be empty in order to be filled again. Let me take you to my last character in Acts 9 and verse 1 to 22 and we see the conversion of Saul. Saul has uh, has has been doing the work of, uh, of the Pharisees. He's been out and he's been uh, persecuting Christians. He's been uh, stoning Stephen, you know, over, overseeing that and laughing with an evil chuckle. And uh, he's now in this position where Jesus has, uh, has had enough. And in, Saul, in uh, Acts 9, verse 1 uh, to, tw- to 22. Let's have a look first. Just I want to break this down a bit because there's lots of, uh, lots of powerful things just to flesh out. From, nine, uh, from verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing 
out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. That's an interesting thing. Who are you, Lord? In that immediate time, he calls him Lord. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. You know, that's, that's, that, that can be our experience as well. And it's, an, it's, it's something not to be afraid of. Uh, did, in, in, in my position of, of coming into repentance and, and laying it before God, God may not necessarily immediately come to you and reveal to you those very same things, uh, the, the, the newness, the, the revelation that he has for you. There may be a time when you, you still don't see something, but the heart that God is wanting to see and develop comes through that. And I just love that. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a, a man named Ananias. And, he called, uh, and the, the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. What a privilege. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has caused upon the saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, entered in, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. Such a powerful encounter. And many, many of us are, are amazed in today's uh, world of the, uh, the road to Damascus experience. Lots of people um, have come forward saying that they've had similar encounters with God. And there's, there's power, just in, not, not necessarily in, in the encounter that I see, but in, in the way in which God wants to, to, to show and develop and grow Saul through this process. It was something where he's saying, I'm going to take you from this position of having a mindset where you want to kill my people, and I want to take you over here to a position where you are preaching my good news. 
where you are living the life that Christ uh, presented, where you are, you are being the example that I have wanted my church to, to, to be built upon. And this process is, is baby steps. It's small bits at a time. But the submission which Paul was brought to in that encounter was exactly the thing which he needed in order for God to build him up again. It took that, that, that journey of, of coming under authority, coming under Ananias, coming under uh, Barnabas, sitting under their teachings, sitting under that, that, that place where he could be grown, where he could be built. And in that place where he was, in verse 9, three days blind, did not eat or drink a thing, I think there's something to be said about that. That he, again, chose to empty himself uh, in a fleshly sense that he could be restored, not by his own might, not by his own strength, by what, what God was going to reveal to him in those three days. And look at this. I love this bit. In from verse 21. Saul spent several. Uh, sorry, verse, this is verse twenty. Saul uh, spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, "Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, in, on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests?" Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome if we, in our humility, in our submission to God, in that place where we are being emptied so that we gain a greater revelation of who he is, of his love, of his compassion, of his delight in us, we then enter into that place where you're in your workplaces, you're in your schools, you're in your colleges, and people are going, Do you know what, isn't, that, isn't that, that that guy who was struggling with depression, but now he's full of joy? Isn't, isn't, isn't that the, the guy who was, who was crippled by fear, but now has peace? Isn't that the, 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 the woman who, who was judgmental of people in the workplace, but now she... Uh, is, is, is giving and granting forgiveness? What about, you know, chronic, chronic, uh, chronic uh, gossip, but is now speaking life, speaking love into that environment? I just love that part that you can see the transformation that by allowing God into our circumstance, allowing God to, to take over our place, He can transform us from over there into something which brings Him glory. Because at the end he's talking about the power of the Jesus of proclaiming and proving that Jesus is the Christ. I want that for all of us. I want that for myself. That I would be taken on a journey and God is still doing that in my life. There are things which I know I still need to be broken of. There's things which I still need to, to, to come under his authority of. And I know that once I hand that over to him, once I, I obtain his, uh, the picture of what that is in my life, that he's going to take me on a, on a greater understanding, on a greater journey. And people will see the difference in my life. But they're not going to be coming and giving me glory. No, I won't allow that. It's for his glory. It's for his kingdom come. 
It's for his power to be recognized. Saul could see nothing when Jesus first opened his eyes to the truth. His flesh was emptied for three days to then be filled by the Holy Spirit and to receive spiritual insight. If we're hungry for a deeper revelation of knowing him, repentance is the key to unlocking humility and allowing God to reveal the truth of who his son is and who he, Jesus Christ, wants to be in each of your lives. Two Corinthians seven, verse ten. This is my last scripture of the evening. This is kind of like the mathematical equation that Paul lays down. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow in my heart for a burning passion for people in my life, the, the, the people who, who need to, to know him, godly sorrow about the things that I hold on to so tightly, but know that God wants to take and he wants to mold and he wants to shape and he wants to transform into his likeness. That sort of godly sorrow where we come before him where we lay those things at his feet, when we say, God, I don't have it all down pat. God, I don't have the answers, but I know you do. I know you have the answer. That sorrow brings repentance, which leaves no regrets. God promises that there is no regret, no regret to submitting to him. We can believe in that. We, we, we need a revelation of that that we can trust him, that we can trust him in all circumstances, that when we hand our lives over to him, when we submit into that place, that we can have no regret and that he will lead us from glory to glory. We should have no regret handing over those things that have been holding us back for so long, but instead trust God at his word, at the testimony of his faithfulness in your lives in the things that you've already experienced, you each and every one of you have a testimony of why you are here tonight. You have a reason for why you are here. And that is to, is to be a part of shaping an understanding of, of, of him, of him, of his, his love, his great adoration for you as his child. His faithfulness in your life and his provision is there in order that we can be guided by him. And I just want to show this clip just in, in closing, which will hopefully just get the Spirit really revealing things into your hearts this evening and, uh, and just show you the power of what repentance, of submission can do in one's life. I'll be back up again. Here we go. Thanks, Carl. Captain Mendoza realized that he couldn't carry that burden any longer. He realized that it wasn't for him to carry anymore. But the place in the arms of Jesus Christ. He goes on to become a, 
uh, a, a monk and a priest in the in the film. But it took that journey for him to realise. It took that journey of of brokenness, of submission. And what I love about that is that he wasn't just left alone in that position afterwards. But do you see how everybody gathered around him, comforted him, built him up? His face wasn't allowed to be kept down. They were dragging him by his beard (laughs) to get his head up. Because that's who we as children of God are supposed to be positioned. To raise our heads. To recognize who who we're, we're serving. And repentance is to be the same. I won't hold my head in repentance. I'll lift my eyes and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to operate in this situation. But God, you know. And I just am so grateful that I can come before you. I can say sorry for the way in which I feel as though in my own human strength, in my own human way of thinking, has been the way, but I know it's not. And God, you now take over. You now take that rightful place. It's an empowering thing, people. It's not something that we should be afraid of or be scared of, but for us to journey together in doing that. I'm so glad, I'm so delighted that I have people in my life, my life group, who I can journey, I can travel that with. And I can ask those questions and say, look, hey, I don't necessarily have that revelation that you have, but hey, can I come alongside you? Can I come underneath you and, and experience what it is that you're seeing through the love of God, what you're seeing through this scenario? What have you experienced of God that I need to have a revelation of. And that way, we as the church are going to build in getting to know him. Repentance is not a sign of weakness, but an acknowledgement that in our weakness, Christ's power may rest on us. Will you stand with me? I'll get the team up to, to tinkle for me as well. We've had a, um, a prophetic download today of uh, the prodigal son and the calling of the prodigals back into uh, his house, but more so back into his arms, back into his heart, back into right thinking. And tonight, I wanted to bring this message, not just because it's something that... <laughs> God wanted me to say but because I know that if I'm going to go deeper with God I've got to step out I've got to go deeper and I I, want to know what that looks like and the thing with the prodigal son was that he initially thought he knew best he thought he, he had it down pat he He would take his money, he would take his inheritance, he would spend it. And he thought he would find peace, but he didn't. And then he comes back to his his father. As we heard from from Johnny this morning, he comes and he, he doesn't want to take on the position of son any longer. He says he, he believes he's not worthy of it. He wants to take on the role of a servant instead. 
But that is not the way that God would perceive or have you think of your life. He wants you to walk in sonship. And as we walk in sonship, we recognize the way in which we can enter into the presence of our Almighty Daddy. We have no fear when we come into His presence. But instead of fear comes freedom. And I just know that tonight as we continue on this process of getting to know Him, that as repentance is one of, this, one of these, these wings in which we can do that, that God is calling people here tonight into a place where they can just be honest with Him. Greg has been saying, let's, let's develop this honesty. Let's develop this, this realm of, of laying it more and more at each other's feet. But tonight I want you to do that before God. I want you to lay those things that have been holding you down, that you've been dragging along, that have been cut off once and for all, but you've decided to go back and pick up again and tie on to yourself because you think it's your comfort. And I want you to cut them off. And as was seen, cast into the deepest ocean, never to return again. That's what the Word of God says. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far our transgressions have been removed from us. Never to be picked up again. So tonight, just as we enter into worship, just hear Holy Spirit. What do you want to show me, God, that I need to lay before you, that I don't have a right mindset about, or my heart is hardened towards, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's fear, whether it's uh, self-doubt, and I really, the, the one which I really, um, oh, the one that God is really just placing on my heart right now is shame. The shame just be removed in the name of Jesus. So let's just enter in now. Let's just worship Him. I've talked long enough. <laughs> let's give Him glory give him the time and the space to respond.